I've got to say, I have enjoyed nothing more than sitting in front of the TV and watching 18 straight hours of hockey now that hockey and sports are back. It has been absolutely amazing. And right now, now that sports are back on your television and back into the athletic where we can actually cover games and and dive into things that um, don't test the limits of our creativity, you can now save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic to get all of our coverage, not just of the Stanley Cup playoffs, of every sport um, that is back at it. So don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, the reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash full60, you will receive 40% off an annual subscription. Hockey's back you don't want to miss breaking stories on all your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash full60 for 40% off an annual subscription. I will see you there. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey, while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. And as if last week's 15-hour spectacular with the million writers wasn't enough, we have decided to loop in some of my favorite teammates, in some cases, longtime teammates, um, to do uh, what we're calling a national roundtable an early look at, at some of the, the bubble games and some of the issues around the league. And so I'm going to one by one introduce everybody. Uh, starting with Pierre Lebrun, who is in his cottage in Muskoka. And I currently have two chairs on my deck uh, bought in Muskoka with Pierre that I sit in every night. Pierre, how are you? I remember your visit from years ago. My, my, my kids still ask about, uh, about uh, your family. They, you left a great impression that and oh, you left good. a lot of you left a lot of, of empty beer bottles too. There was a few of that, mostly yeah. by the uh, shuffleboard table. Um, well, if your country <laughs> would let me back in, I would come visit you. We got, <laughs> we got Katie Strang uh, in Grand Rapids. Katie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Ryan Clark, who dropped a fantastic story today. I'm gonna. I'm sure we'll be plugging a lot of things, but Ryan did a, a, a has been working for a long time on a feature on uh, Jacob Slavin and his wife and uh, Ryan. It turned out fantastic. So read that to anyone who's listening to this. But Ryan in Denver, how are you? Good. How is everyone doing? We're great. And last but certainly not least, Scott Burnside, who I know, Scott, you're struggling the fact that you're not moderating this. This gives me great pleasure to introduce you. I just wish there was a mic I could reach over and grab from you. <laughs> And, uh, and but I feel I feel okay though because Pierre and I taped uh, two man advantage the first one since he came back from vacation, and as you know we're doing uh, mini two man advantages every other morning during the uh, playoffs. So I literally am spending a lot of time, literally in my closet with the door closed because uh, that is it's a better sound. So I feel a little bit That's like good. I'm like Harry Potter underneath the stairs in his uh, <laughs> uncle Nance house. So. That's that's great. And, and definitely, that's a good plug. You should be listening to those. Those are great. Quick hitters get you caught up. The two-man advantage every single day. Um, all right, so let's dive in. I want to talk first impressions. And whether that's, and I'm going to leave it open to you guys, whether that's a team that has jumped out at you 
or just how the bubble has been run or and we've even we were even talking offline about like everything's great now but when is when are the wheels gonna you always feel like okay maybe it's gonna go sideways and I want to start with Katie because we had a, a text exchange at the start of this and our first impressions were like oh my gosh how much did we all miss hockey like I, I think we knew kind of intrinsically we missed it but it wasn't almost till we were watching those games and so Katie let's start there what, what have been your first impressions of the, of the week so far yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. Like, I, I, that was my sort of immediate visceral response was, you know, the last time I was in public, <laughs> save yeah. for like, you know, my bi-monthly grocery trips, was with you at the rink um, in March, just before everything shut down, right? And, yeah. you know, the world sort of got turned upside down, and we have a very new concept of normal now. Um, and so I think just amidst everything that has been just thrown into tumult um, in the sports world and greater society in general. Um, like it didn't leave a ton of time for a reflection about, you know, what we've really missed. And um, having that slate of games, like that first day this weekend was so fun that I was like, I, I didn't even realize, you know, how much hockey just played this like uh, recurring backdrop in my daily life that, I missed so much, you know, it's like putting on like a, like a album or a CD that like you haven't listened to in a long time and been like, Oh my God, this is so good. Um, so it was a, it was sort of a good reawakening as to how much, you know, the sport can mean to people and, and how much of it has sort of, I think, re-energized us, right? Like in a time yeah, where it's sure. been really difficult. And so I think it, you know, I, it's been really fun to see it come back and come back in a very safe way. I, I will add that. Like I had definite doubts about not just the feasibility, but also the propriety of, of coming back and um, to see them pull this off with as few, you know, hitches as, as possible has been really wonderful to see. Yeah. And, and it's funny and you can almost like so far you can watch it with almost guilt free. Like I watch baseball and you know, everything that's going on and you're like, Oh, this, is this even good for the players? And can I really enjoy this? And I don't have that same kind of feeling. Pierre, I want to jump to you because, um, and get your first impressions, but also like in, to Katie's point, like it's been amazing to wake up and you have these slate of games and it's all laid out for you and you don't have to move and it's awesome. And I'm like, boy, we, I love playing games. Like, let's just do this every year. You had a piece, and it was like, um, don't get too excited. I don't think the playoffs are expanding. So what, can, you, can you talk about that? And also, Pierre, just what, what, what your first impressions have been. Yeah. Well, first of all, first impressions. I, I was back in the TSN studio this past Monday for the first time since we did like an eight-hour show on March 12th when the season was put on pause. Hadn't been back to the uh, CTV TSN building until then. And man, I think's changed. I uh, got to wear a mask everywhere on campus. I got to wear a mask in the green room while we were watching games Monday night. Um, even when we were on air without the mask off, I was at a separate desk behind James Duffy and Dave Pullen because we only want two people on the main desk. It's completely, I think it, it, it just, it was another reminder that life won't be the same for a long time. Um, so, so there is that, but it was good to be back on air. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, I checked with a leaked source uh, this week because, you know, I think the fans have really bought into this qualifying round and, and how exciting it is to have some some extra games that matter, even if they're not really playoff games. They're like playoff games because they're not regular season games. 
And um, and so I asked because forever Gary Bettman and I have had this back and forth about how he does not want to change the traditional 16-team playoffs. I wrote about it a couple of years ago for The Athletic. So I went back to the well and checked with a league source yesterday and the answer was no, that as as perfect as this is for this moment in 2020 to get the league back into things, that there is no interest at this time to expand from the 16 teams, even with Seattle. I know, even I know. with Seattle coming in. So, and and by the way, I, I didn't really get into it in 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 my notebook, but the NHLPA has canvassed its players over the last few years about it too, and and basically at this point. The sense is that the season is grueling enough, and that adding more playoff games isn't uh, in the cards either from the player side. So I guess we're uh, status quo until we hear otherwise. Yeah, Ryan, you've been busy. You're covering a team, Colorado, that I think could make a long run in this thing, and also you know you covered a lot of you know the social justice issues. Great, you had a great conversation with Matthew Dumba's father after his memorable speech, and then like. You're balancing that with covering the Avs. Great Ian Cole diaries. Like Ian's, Ian's. Uh, I love Ian, and he's he was recently. He's the best, and uh, and so his perspective from the bubble, like it's been great to read from a player's perspective. But what's you know in in midst of all of that, Ryan, that you've been handling and been so prolific, what has jumped out to you? Probably the bizarre nature of this whole experience, because let's just take Hurricanes Rangers as a prime example. The Rangers won the season series, and yet the Hurricanes sweep them. And, you know, there's one of two ways to look at it. You could be sarcastic and say, well, in the year of our Lord, AD 2020, nothing makes sense because it's 2020. <laughs> or it's just another reminder of how, like, look, the NHL playoffs, really no one knows what's going to happen. Because let's yeah. take last year, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning were just playing playoff games because it was the nice, pleasant, you know, kind thing to do. And look what happened there. And then, With the Calgary Flames, they're the top seed in the West, and the Colorado Avalanche upset them in five. So it's just another reminder of just how no one really knows how these things are going to happen. But then it's the other bizarre piece of this. Like, Andre Svechnikov scores a hat trick. Okay, cool. No big deal. Connor McDavid does it, and you have someone literally running down the stairs of Rodgers being like, let's throw some hats. When I had someone say to me, wouldn't have just been smarter for the NHL to have, like, hats in the rafters that they just pull a cord and they just fall onto the ice when – when that happens. And so again, it's just one of those things where nothing about this has been normal or straightforward. And in some ways, like I liken it to a conversation like Craig and I've had about the world cup of hockey and team North America, where for as fun as it was to watch that team, everybody hates that team because you will never see anything quite like it again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm considering everything that the league has, has thought of and Steve Mayer, especially Steve deserves a lot of credit for the kind of the production of all of this. I'm surprised they didn't think of the hats in a, in a net and maybe we'll have that for the 16 team play and playoff. Um, What about you, Scotty? What's, what's been, you've been monitoring everything. Yeah. What about you? I was, I loved it when uh, they, they showed a picture from the Canes dressing room and someone had put a bunch of hats in Svechnikov's uh, locker shortly after the the hat trick because it wasn't on the ice. But I I will tell you what I, what's been interesting for me is that there are times and I've, I mean, I don't go anywhere, right? So I've watched pretty much all the games. And uh, there are lots of times because of the ambient noise and and I, I, I forget that there are no fans there, right? It sounds like real hockey to me. And I'm yelling at the television 
that's a hook or why didn't you call that or how can you mostly when it comes to the Panthers like why are you not covering that guy um but I think uh I I, I just um and, and Pierre and I talked about this so much on on our podcast in the weeks leading up to this can it be done can this thing the million threads that have to be put together and and I think we all know that there were times before phase two players were running amok a bit in different markets there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, renegade activity players skating away from phase two and the fact that they have managed to get everyone inside that bubble um and unless someone now absolutely does go rogue, it's you know they're well on their way to being able to pull this off. This may be one of the greatest sports stories of all time, and I don't you know maybe I'm hyperbolic, but if the NHL can pull this off, we'll be talking about this forever. And I, I yeah. you know it's been fun to be immersed in it through the first five days. I feel like I've seen 250 hockey games, but it's all right. So Scott, let me stick with you on this because. Um, I, this is the topic I want to hit next because, you know, the last round of testing, again, no cases, no positive uh, test results. And you're like, wow, this is this is great. The, the players have bought in. The league has set up a system that works. Um, but there's also going to be like a lot of excitement um, in, in the first week. Right. And, and, you know, my kids seem to follow rules after a week after I give them to them. But the second week and the third week is is a different story. So and, and we've seen baseball has really struggled to contain things. Um, you know, college football, you have, it's all, it's all over the board. And I know these aren't bubble sports, um, but I, I, how likely, in your opinion, especially when you see these other sports, um, do you think this is going to maintain this, you know, this success, Scott? Yeah, no, I I, I don't see, because I think we, we sometimes lose sight of, you know, when we started talking about, oh my gosh, the players are going to be locked down in the bubble for, you know, 10 weeks or whatever it is, two plus months, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't happen, right? New York Rangers are going home. They're done. And maybe by the time we get done this podcast, the Florida Panthers will be well on their way to going home as well. So I think because the the telescope's going to narrow so quickly, right? We're going to have eight teams gone home by Sunday night, and then you're into the traditional first round. It's going to be calamitous, as the first round always is. Then... Uh, I just think that by the time you get to the point where players are like, screw this, I'm going to Sherlock's in Edmonton or I'm going wherever I'm going in Toronto, uh, the families get to come into the bubble at the conference final level. Well, they're all going to go to Edmonton. But I just think I think people are going to be so dialed in because it's happening and there is so much at stake. So maybe I'm a Pollyanna, but I don't see this breaking down at all, frankly. And if it does break down, it's because of some sort of crack in the bubble that comes from hotel staff or, or people outside the game proper. That's my guess. All right, I love Scott's optimism, and I, you know, I agree. Especially as this thing gets smaller and smaller, I know there's, you know, getting this thing to four teams in a expedited fashion has always been kind of part of the design, or at least the the hope. Uh, I do want to. What I love about Katie is there's all. If you ever want some skepticism, you, you just give Katie a call on things. Um, I'm not gonna. I don't want to lead the witness. But how? What are your? What's your level, level of optimism here in the NHL pulling this off? Don't don't worry. You don't need to lead. I will be a Debbie Downer. Um, I'll come through. <laughs> I'll stay on brand. Um, so I do think you know I've been really 
affirmed with, you know, how well things have gone thus far. But as you noted, and as someone who has two toddlers, like compliance is always best, like at the beginning, um, but it can erode very quickly. Right. And I think the reality still is that, you know, this is a very contagious thing that we're dealing with and something that we've seen in other sports can, you know, spread, you know, incredibly quickly and just have a very insidious presence. So am I cautiously optimistic? Yes, based on, you know, what the first week or so has looked like. But the fact remains, you're still only one positive test away from the whole thing falling apart, which is not to say that one positive test would scuttle the whole thing. But, you know, as we've seen, it's very rarely isolated to one like to one positive test. If you have one, it often exponentially increases to four and 16 and mm. um, it goes from there. So I think the key components here are, you know, a, a maintained sense of vigilance and compliance. And I think what we don't know is, you know, as sort of the bloom is off the rose, does that become more difficult to execute? Right, and, and I still have some doubts about that. I, I'm, I'm, I would love to be proven wrong, but I, I am a skeptic. By <laughs> right, which is which is great, Ryan. And, and we, you know, you and I have kind of talked about this, but I would be curious in in your conversations with players, and and I think one of the things you said jumped out was just how serious you thought Colorado players were taking everything, like in terms of their approach to trying to win a Stanley Cup. Um, what sense do you get from the players in, in your conversations with people around the league that that, that vigilance is going to be maintained for two months? It seems like if you're one of those teams who you feel strongly about it, you realize what's at stake. And it's because it goes back to some of the tropes we've all talked about, which is the salary cap changes everything. And you never know what your teams might look like. I mean, look, two years ago, everyone thought Nashville and Winnipeg were just going to run dominion over everyone. And you look at their situations now and it's changed quite a bit. So for those teams, it seems like that's the case. But for the teams that have been eliminated or on the brink of elimination, you know, you could argue it, it, what, what's the, the motivation there. Yes, it's it's to stay healthy. And it's not to say that those players would look to do something that puts everybody at risk. But that's just it. Is it's all about your level of commitment. Because, like, you take the Colorado, you know, Avalanche, kind of like you said, for example, like they're a club that it wasn't that long ago they were the worst club in the NHL, the worst club in salary cap history. And yes, it looks like they appear to be a cup contender for a long time, but that's a team that's also going to have some financial decisions to make. So maybe they feel like this is an opportunity you can't let go. Or maybe it's the same thing for a team like the Hurricanes or a team like the Penguins. You just, you never know. Yeah. And it was interesting watching the uh, the, the Maple Leafs game when Jake Muzzin goes down and Pierre and you were like, you were tweeting in real time. I think all of us were in that moment. And and like that's you know everything can go great and you can be vigilant and then oh yeah by the way like a player might get hurt and have to go to the hospital and you know leave the bubble like there's there's all these you know unplanned for even if they are planned for in terms of how they're going to handle it um you know Pierre what were your thoughts when you saw that happen and especially in relation to kind of the challenges of maintaining the bubble well yeah so so first of all your heart just stopped because uh whenever you're talking about a you know, what appeared to be a potential neck situation, given the stretcher and everything else, you're just, and him trying to find, you know, the, the tingling in his fingers, you could see it on the images. You're just, mm. you're just so concerned. And I'd be concerned for any player, but in particular, as, as you guys have probably 
known from talking to Jake over the years, just a wonderful down to earth guy who, you know, represents the, the game well. And, um, and so it just made it, you were just hoping he'd be all right. And, and of course the news today, as we tape this, that he's back in the team hotel is huge. He's out of the hospital and yeah, uh, obviously not as serious as thought, although serious enough that the injury is going to prevent him to be out for the rest of the series. But it presented a logistical thing. That's not nearly, it wasn't the most pressing issue at the time as health was, but it, the whole bubble thing right away, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, if he goes to hospital outside of the bubble, what does that mean? And, you know, the, an- the right. answer we got from the league is that it, each case like this will be judged, you know, um, one by one as far as, um, you know, what kind of risk. Uh, in terms of exposure that the player had when he left the bubble and went to the hospital. Long story short, they're going to judge these, you know, case by case. And in this particular case, you know, he's back in the bubble, but he also has to quarantine, which is kind of a moot point because as the Leafs said in the release today, he's still injured as well. Right, right. And, and you know, watching that, I couldn't tell, and I mean this with all, like, respect to the gravity of the situation i couldn't tell if it seemed more serious just because the building was so silent Mm. it was so odd you know you're watching it and the players are concerned and normally there would be you know as you're as as he's being stretched there would be people clapping and stuff but all you hear is the the tapping of the sticks and Mm. it just seemed so heavy and and we've already had like this this set up and and even like these times have already and i'm gonna stick with you pierre like we've we've already had these memorable moments and there, there seems to be um you know at times a seriousness to this and no no more so than when matthew dumba you know emerges and and gives a speech that you know we learned had he'd prepared in front of some teammates now and and you know wanted to memorize it like some great detail that ryan got into in his story um but to then you know to we all were waiting to see how the league was going to respond to the, the Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter movement and the the hockey alliance, the diversity alliance, and and like to see it to see Matthew Dumba step up in that way, I thought was incredible. Pierre, what were your impressions? You know, to, in, in that as you were watching that. Yeah, uh, just so impressive, Matt Dumba's part. And you know, can I just say at the outset here before I answer this that uh, you know. Ryan Clark has been such a superstar for us at The Athletic in the coverage of all this. And I'm learning through so much through reading Ryan, yeah. never mind some of the own questions that I'm asking as we live through these important times. But, you know, Scotty and I had Matt Dumba on our podcast last month. Uh, and, um, you know, at the outset of when I heard Matt joining uh, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, my impression of it was that he was, you know, not only gutsy of a young guy like him, he's the youngest of the group, right, to, to want to be part of it. But I also said, I sensed that he wanted to learn a lot from it and look up to, you know, some of the veterans in that group. But I think we're, we're I'm, you know, he's, it's way more than that, clearly, from the leadership that he has shown and what he did there. And I, I just think it's, it's, it just took so much courage and it is already made a huge difference, you know, him kicking things off that way. Yeah, and I especially, like, there was some criticism, and Ryan, you and I talked about it afterwards, you know, it was, you know, what what were response did we want to see from his teammates? And, and so then the next step happens when you see a guy like, you know, Tyler Sagan, you see, you see support from from the white teammates of, of these players, and, and so... 
you know, Ryan, you and I have discussed some of the nuances in, you know, and it's not always clear cut, you know, what, what should we think of this response and are the teammates doing enough? And, and as you've seen this continue to become a story, Ryan, like, what are your impressions? Like, are, are, do you feel like the league is doing enough? Do you think, do you feel like the teammates are being supportive enough as this evolves? It all depends on who you talk to and what you're comparing this to, just because when you look at other leagues and what they've done, those leagues have dealt with these issues for, for years now, whereas if the NHL, this is still brand new territory in a lot of respects. And in the sense of what to see going forward, that's something the league and its players and its teams have to figure out with the idea that whatever they decide in the court of public and opinion, court of public opinion, there's going to be a no win situation. There's going to be people who say, Hey, look, we like the fact you're talking about this. Then there's going to be people who say that they don't. And then it's going to go into another conversation and it's one about, well, why should sports be used as a platform for social issues? But then it's the conversation of, well, if there was no Jesse Owens, no Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, what do you think culture would look like for black people and people of color in America, if not the world as a whole, without those figures doing what they did in athletics? And so it goes back to this dynamic of just, how does the league really want to proceed with these moments? How do players want to proceed as well? Just because there have been players you, you you talk to, we've all probably talked to who have opinions on this, who want to be supportive, but they've also said, look, I'm a white player. Who am I really to kind of be someone to speak up for this when it's like, yes, I have views, but at the same time, am I really the right voice? And that's something that everybody has to come to on their own conclusion. And it goes back to this. We think about Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier, but one of the images we often associate with that was Pee Wee Reese putting his arm around Robinson and a show of support. And it became this friendship that came on that, that would go on to define both men. And we talk about how important that is to have support in these situations. And so what's going to happen with the NHL in the long term really is anyone's guess. But again, it goes back to a point that was made Saturday. It's the difference between nuance and nitpicking and that's where the details are going to lie by the end of all of this. I agree. And it's interesting, Katie, you and I have had a lot of conversations. We all have about hockey culture. And what I'm curious to see, and I would love to get your perspective on this, is like this is in the spotlight. And, and I think it's and I'm glad it is. And you and I know, know how like coaches operate and like does hockey have the stomach to keep this going right like every other sport we've seen like nba coaches are opening press conferences still with hey you know this they, they keep they're keeping the issue at the forefront you knowing hockey culture like you do katie like how is this something that hockey can keep doing throughout the playoffs i don't i don't know the answer to that but i think mm. it's a good i mean it's a question we should be asking you know i go back to jt brown and how he really kicked this off a couple of years ago and did it at a time when the sort of window of discourse was at a different point, right? And he, you know, if you go back and read that NHL.com piece that he wrote, the thing that, like, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it right now, um, he basically did a calculus before doing that and, and thought, hey, I am fighting for my spot in the lineup. I am not, like, a premier guy whose spot is guaranteed. So doing this will come with great risk, and it could mean a tremendous cost. Do I still want to do this? And he did it anyway, knowing that that mm. could effectively end his career. And to me, like, that is such a courageous move on his part. 
Um, but I also think it's really illustrative of what players are grappling with when they're when they're making these decisions. You know, even Dickinson said it a little bit the other night in terms of, um, you know, I don't know if I would have been able to do this kind of on my own. So what I liked about what happened um, when Sagan and Reeves um, and Dickinson and Lehner all did it together is I was so struck by Dumba's courage in, in raising his fist the other night, but it was also really heartbreaking to see him be alone. And I think, you know, when you are a player of color in a very homogenous sport, um, isolation is, is a thing that, you know, you have to probably be grappling with on top of racism. And that's one of the more insidious things about it. So to see um, the fact that, like, you know, Reeves and Sagan talked beforehand and Sagan had you know, I think made some pretty vocal, emphatic gestures about wanting to be a part of this movement and educate himself. And so when Reeves approached him and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Would you like to join me? Their decision to join them, to me, like was a, also a, another watershed moment because I think yeah. it is going to take, you know, you know, black women, black men, communities of colors have been doing the heavy lifting on this for so long. But white people have to take, you know, responsibility too in order to, you know, provide solidarity and and show people that we support them in doing this. So that that to me was a huge step. I hope we see more of that. I think um, that was really encouraging to just, you know, hear how that all unfolded. And, you know, Ryan, you're a big part of the reason we know why. Um, in, in writing a great story with Jesse about that, um, and, and Sean too. You guys all contributed on that coverage. Um, but I think as we get deeper into the playoffs, we're going to probably get a greater picture of whether some of the you know, initial um, statements were more performative and, and what players are more committed to affecting meaningful change. Yeah. Before we continue, can I throw something out real quick? Of course. It, it, Go ahead, Ryan, and then Pierre. I'll keep it super quick. Um, so let's look at Nazem Kadri, for example. Nazem Kadri makes a statement after the exhibition game against the Minnesota Wild. And, of course, we saw what happened. Av's Twitter put out a video of it, and his statement criticizing the league was cut off. So he hadn't talked to anyone. He did speak to us, but he hadn't talked to anyone about that moment. And then Sunday comes, he scores the game-winning goal. And then it raises a question. Do you ask about him and his involvement with the HDA? What it was like to see his statement get cut? What's been the reaction? Or do you focus more on the fact that he scored a game-winning goal with a tenth of a second left for the most thrilling finish this postseason has seen? And so the reason I bring this up is because there have been conversations about if people want to have this discussion and have it furthered, how much of that responsibility falls on media? And when you look at Kadri's situation, there is that gap where it's like, what do you do in that Sunday moment where you have five minutes of availability? Is it asking about this goal, considering 90% of reporters who are asking this were remote and are trying to get as much detail as humanly possible? Or do you sacrifice some of that time to ask about that? But then it raises this question, and I'll stop talking, is when you look at media, you've seen media be really critical of the NHL. But the thing media has to keep in mind is, guys, let's look at this industry. It's not exactly diverse. It's far from it. And, you know, you see people say, well, the NHL needs to be better about diversity. 
the NHL has a black woman in Kim Davis who's in a C-suite. There's a lot of journalism companies that just don't have that. So that's the thing in all this is it's more nuanced than we realize. And just looking at Nazem Kadri and Sunday after what happened with him in the exhibition game just reinforces that point. Yeah. Yeah. Pure. Well, and, and that's a great segue to the point I want to make. And, and Ryan and I had a lot of conversations about this off air, you know, a few months ago. But as I wanted to continue to educate myself through all this is that uh, I felt strongly about the need to write the story that I wrote about Indigenous Canadians and the issue of, of racism in hockey, because as a, as a Canadian that that hit that really hits home for me as well and 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 the point i'm making is that as we grapple with all these issues these issues hockey is is set up differently than other sports right i mean you got people from from europe and all over the world like it, it, the, the makeup of it is different but on top of it because it is a sport that canada gave to the world there's an historical difference too i mean i think we have to acknowledge that and and so that's why it was important for me to write that on top of the fact that we have to stay on this with Black Lives Matter um, and the work of the, the Hockey Diversity Alliance is amazing. We also have other issues, including the fact of how Indigenous Canadian hockey players have been mistreated forever in our sport. And again, that, I know that's more of a Canadian angle, but it's it's very important. And... I thought it was amazing, for example, when Ethan Bear wore his nameplate in his Cree uh, native language last week. And so I guess what I'm saying is I'm, if, if the situation wasn't impactful enough and, and difficult enough and important enough for all of us to continue to try and, 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 and make the situation better, I think hockey on top of it um, has other layers to it, if, if, if you guys agree. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to, you know, like hockey culture. I find that one of sort of the biggest impediments towards, you know, true meaningful change in, in people speaking out and in, in supporting things um, that not, might, might not be universally popular is like there is this sort of fetishization of, you know, the collective or stoicism or you just never want to be a distraction to your team. Like that's what we always hear. I didn't want to be a distraction to my team. So I don't want to talk about my injury. I don't want to bring this up. And I do think, um, you know, that can be a really difficult hurdle to clear, you know, when, when you're talking about these very important social issues is that guys are very fearful still of becoming a quote unquote distraction to the team. And that's why like one of the things that I was very heartened to see um, after those four players kneeled for the anthem is you saw Pete DeBoer supporting his players. You saw Rick Mm -hmm. Bonus supporting his players. And that's gotta be part of the equation too. Like the power brokers of the sport, of the teams, the people in positions of authority also have to be willing to support their players to express themselves freely and players have to know that you know there won't be retribution or reprisal for doing so right and scott you know you you have special you know inside knowledge of these people in the dallas organization and these players you spent a year there and so i i you know Watching Tyler Sagan specifically emerge as as an important voice in in you know he he spoke again uh, to Sean Shapiro in a story that we have on the site 
now and in him articulate why he's he's been involved um I, I think it's been fascinating because if we're going to be frank about Tyler Sagan, didn't always have the reputation as being a mature, you know, kid, right? Like he, he gets dealt and there was, you know, he's, he's always had, there's, there's always been some stuff swirling around him. And now you're sitting here saying, okay, this, this person's now emerged as a leader, not only on his team, but uh, in a very important moment in history in the league. And, and I, you know Tyler well. Like I think that's been fascinating to watch that evolution. Well, and I and I think it's. Uh, I mean, there is an element of how many voices are are going to be heard behind such an important issue, and that's part of it too. But it is also um, the, the the specifics of which voices are being raised. I mean, it was interesting. Pierre and I had Corey Schneider on our podcast that we taped earlier today, and we were talking about this very issue. And, you know, Corey mentioned what we've talked about. You know, hockey's a kind of a stay-in-your-lane culture. And um, he felt it was so important to, to see those players kneel for the national anthem on the heels of Mac Dumba's uh, um, speech before game one of that Edmonton um, Chicago series. Uh, I don't know whether it's like a avalanche coming down a hill. I, I don't know if it's quite like that. But I do know that someone like Tyler Sagan, who has, listen, he wants to be a leader. He wants to be the kind of person that um, has lots of responsibility on and off the ice. And I think we've seen him grow into that. I think we've seen some of that from Evander Kane as well during this whole process. So I think it's important that that those kinds of voices are heard. Um, and I think, you know, just in talking to Corey Schneider, it, it's going to make those kinds of discussions in the New Jersey locker room and in St. Louis and all the other locker rooms, I think these kinds of moments allow those conversations to unfold naturally and organically. And you have to hope that coaches in, in NHL locker rooms are going to react the same way that Pete DeBoer and Rick Bonus did. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, listen, you know, I, I'm Joe optimistic here. I think the bubble's going to be fine. Uh, and maybe... Maybe I am a Pollyanna, but I do think it's important, and, and I do hope that whether it's between now and the end of the playoffs, it's a hard time because of the Zoom calls, as, as Ryan mentioned. But especially next season, I I hope I do hope that we're going to start to, um, you know, the conversation won't be how come no one says anything, uh, and that it is going to become oh, that was really cool that this team did that or this star player, um, you know, was wearing this shirt or whatever it is. And, you know, time will tell. But I, I, I think these are important moments that we're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. All right, Ryan, I want you to have the last word here. Well, and, what, and if I could oh, I, Pierre, go, all right, go ahead, Pierre. Before well, I, I'm just going to – I just want to quickly add that yeah. it's actually the point I forgot to make when I interjected earlier, but – uh, is that I had a, a, a prominent star player text me after reading my piece and and did not really know Ted Nolan's story or what Ted Nolan had gone through um, and said it, it had completely, it had given him so much to think about. And I think that's part of all this mm-hmm. is that it, it is that the more, you know, we write about this and, and you know, is 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 the education process of all this you know maybe you're not going to get an entire team to kneel down but if at least more and more players are actually engaging in this whether it's in their own head or with their teammates in private i mean that's that's a major step in itself yeah all right ryan what do you want to see 
in the next month or two that you, that says, okay, this is something that's going to continue to have momentum. This is continue. What are what what's, what'll be the biggest indicator to you? Don't know if there's really anything to say that about wanting to see just because not being funny, but yeah, being the black Hispanic reporter covering race in a sport like this, you try to shit Excuse me, you try to shy away from having any sort of opinion just because you want people to realize whenever they read you what you're writing is going to be objective. But the thing that I will add is this. It's just going to be about seeing what the league wants to do with this, what the players want to do with this going forward. Because Matthew Schneider, the NHLPA, said that these are conversations that they're having with their players about things like racism and bigotry and making sure that boys and girls of all ages, of all races, whatever their background might be, they feel like hockey is a place for them and that they have a spot in this game. But in terms of seeing it going forward, let's just say it goes back to the idea of nuance versus nitpicking, which sometimes if we're just we're having an honest, frank conversation as a person of color, you are left wondering about an everyday society. So let's take, uh, let's for example, let, let's take this because Evander Kane brought it up. You look at when MLSC had the Raptors tweet a statement and you look at when they had the Leafs tweet a statement. And the point he raised was, why did the Raptors tweet theirs first? Why didn't it all come out at the same time if you're owned by the same corporation? Is it because with the NBA, there's the understanding that this is an issue, that you have more fans of color, that this is something of importance? Whereas if the Leafs, while you have fans of color, is it because it's the NHL and hockey that while it's important, maybe you can wait a little bit? It's not as pressing. So for someone who hears that, they might think one of two things. One, that's pretty nitpicking and who really cares the statement was made that's all that matters but the second is this if it's the same company that's ran by the same group of people shouldn't their overall message trying to be affect everybody at the same time with the idea that you show that there's a united front on an issue that while it's divisive teams are speaking up more and more about this and then it leads to a larger division which I'm sure Scott and Pierre and really everybody here can attest to. When you look at Toronto, the Raptors represent this multicultural Toronto that the world has fallen in love with that people didn't know existed. And I say this as someone that's like my second home, like that's what Toronto is. But when you look at the Leafs and kind of how they handled it, for friends of mine, they've raised the point that just proves it's Burlington, Oakville and Orangeville's team where like they'll mention these things. But it's not a priority. And that's what the league has to start looking at is if you really want to include everyone, You've got to be sharper on these decisions or else you leave so much to question. Mm. All right. Thanks, Ryan. And all right, let's take a break because the yeah, second that's a great point. Second half of this is going we're gonna we're gonna leave the bubble and get at some issues and some some kind of news news items that have happened over the last week or two that affect the league at large. So let's take a quick break and we'll dive right back into that. Today's show is sponsored by Artifact. And I want you to bear with me right now, because if you've never heard of Artifact, this, and honestly, I mean this completely sincerely, is one of the coolest products that is ever advertised in this podcast. I love Artifact. I love the concept of it. And I think once people figure out really what it is, if you're not familiar with it, you'll love it too. So what Artifact does is it sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about important people or things in your life. Think of it like a podcast episode about whatever you want. So if you've ever, if you're really into podcasts, and I'm assuming you are because you're listening to this, and you've ever wanted a podcast about your life or something in your life, this is the company that can do it for you. 
With Artifact, you can capture family history with parents and grandparents. You can talk about friends and family as a birthday, wedding, or anniversary gift, both about how they've made a difference in your life and share hilarious stories. It's about the most unique gift you could give somebody. It's a great way to document family history. I'm really into all of that. As you can tell, I'm really excited about Artifact. So to really get an understanding of it, I ordered my own. And what I wanted to do was to tell the story about my career and writing my book, Behind the Bench. And I just wanted to go through the process of um, how they, they do things at Artifact. And so what I did was I went to heyartifact.com, H-E-Y-A-R-T-I-F-A-C-T.com, told them a few basic things about what I wanted this artifact to look like. Then I answered a bunch of pre-interview questions. I really did this. Like, this is the God's honest truth. And scheduled my interview. Took, like, I would say five, maybe ten minutes answering those questions. Uh, and then the other day, I did a call um, with Stephen. And he asked a lot of questions that were based on the questionnaire that I filled out. I would say typically they're probably a 30-minute interview. But because I like to talk about myself, this was fun. This is so much fun. I can't tell you guys. Um, it went 45 minutes. Probably could have gone longer. It was almost about reminiscing about different decisions I've made in my career. Um, it was it was really great. It was really fun to talk about things that I hadn't even thought about in years. And it was really well done. The interview was, was great. The follow-up questions were really good. And then from there, this is now being shipped off to the Artifacts professional editors and sound engineers to take care of the edit. And they put it all together in a really well-produced narrative podcast that I want to share. Hopefully, I think the plan is to share it with you guys. The whole thing is to show you how this is done. We're just going through that process right now, but it's going to be ready hopefully next week. If you want to see samples of, of some they've already done, and there was there's one really cool one with, I think it was a World War II vet. Um, you go to heyartifact.com. They have samples of different podcasts that they've personalized and they've done in the past. There's a whole bunch of different examples that capture stories of friends and family that people have already done. And when you're ready to do your own, I would encourage you to use the code FULL60 to get 40% off your first artifact. That's heyartifact.com and use the code FULL60 for $40 off. That's a really good deal. And next week, we will listen to mine. I'm pumped. I'm like, and I will save it for my kids. I think you'll enjoy it because I enjoyed it. Again, go to heyartifact.com, check out some samples to really understand what they're doing. And then when you're ready to do your own, just use the code FULL60 to get $40 off. All right, so I want to get into, let's let's talk about the other seven teams a little bit, but also it does affect as teams start to get eliminated. Um, Pierre, you also you had a, a piece talking about Lafreniere and, you know, how he's watching this tournament. We're going to have a draft lottery again at some point. What is it, a week from Monday? Why I not? Like, yeah, let's have Why another not? one. We, it's not enough. What a bizarre thing. Like, it's been lost in all of this, but these teams are like, see you later, New York Rangers, but congratulations, you may get a generational talent, potentially. Um so I, it was interesting, Pierre. That, that I was glad you touched on that. Uh, how how is he watching this tournament? And in like, let's what, what what are we supposed to do with all this? Yeah. So I spoke to, with his agent, uh, Emily Castonguet. Uh, Scotty, you may remember, wrote a terrific profile uh, of her uh, this year. But she is um, Alexis Lafreniere's agent, and. Um, uh, 
I did not get access to him directly. She has been inundated with media requests. Everyone has the same <laughs> idea, which is what's it like? What, what's it like for him right now? Because he's, as she said to me, he's an avid, avid, avid hockey fan. So he is watching all the games right now. Yeah. But the point I was making is who would have a more unique perspective of what it's like to be watching these qualifying round games than him, whose future literally is playing out with, with each team being eliminated this week. It's crazy. He's starting to narrow down where, yeah, it is weird. Like, I feel for the kid. And um, and so each of those eight losers will get a 12.5% chance at getting him with the first overall pick. And, I mean, let's just deal with the elephant in the room, you know. You have to imagine that. Well, I, you know, I don't want to assume this because not everyone who's from Quebec wants to play for the Montreal Canadiens. But if the Habs do lose to Pittsburgh, and as we tape this, it is one-one, so who knows? But can you imagine if the Habs end up with that? Uh, you know, winning the lottery at next Monday uh, be an unbelievable story. But you got a lot of great stories. I mean, depending on who <laughs> who loses in these series. You know, what if Edmonton loses to Chicago and wins another lottery? <laughs> just, oh just a lot of different ways to to look at this. But I think for the kid, it's got to be so emotional to try and probably keep saying to himself, don't cheer for this, don't cheer for that, just let it play out until Monday. <laughs> it's crazy. All right, let's do a lap around the room and and take votes on who which team it would be the most either chaotic or entertaining to see him end up on. Scott, I'll start with you. I like the Edmonton angle. Um Gosh, when you mentioned Pittsburgh, even the thought of him playing with like uh, it's crazy. So let's I'll, 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 you have to pick a team, Scott. What's the most chaotic? Like what would send the hockey world upside down? Oh well, yeah, I mean obviously Edmonton, but I I think also this notion of um, and because it's one one as we're said, you know, to having this chat, I'm sure there would be teams around the NHL if he if Lafreniere ends up in Pittsburgh playing with Crosby and Malkin. I mean. That would be unbelievable. On a personal note, I'd love to see him go to Winnipeg. I, I think it would be great for that franchise. Um, now, I'm not jinxing them or anything, but, uh, you know, anything that ties to the Atlanta Thrashers, Craig, you know I'm always on board for that. So, but, <laughs> I was yeah. wondering why Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I've always forgotten. That's right. Yes, and, I think anyway, that. so I, I would say obviously either Edmonton or Pittsburgh, and, and there would be a great hue and cry. But uh, I, to me, we should be edging toward a straight-on – we're going to have uh, 16 teams that will not make the playoffs once Seattle gets in. Once you put 16 team names in the in the hat and draw them out, I, I don't like. I think that if you don't make the playoffs, make it an open open field, and and we've edged toward that this year with one of these play in round teams that are losers are going to get the number one pick. Uh, I'm okay with that. Oh my gosh! All right, Ryan, who's your who's your vote for Team Chaos slash? It would be awesome to see. Let's go off board and say the Florida Panthers for this reason, because one, imagine a top line with Alexi Lafreniere, Alexander Barkov, and Jonathan Huberto. Yeah. The second <laughs> would be good. when you look at the Panthers. Like, yes, they've had Pavel Bure, they have Sergei Bobrovsky. Now they drafted Aaron Ekblad, Huberto, Barkov, and while they've drafted players. They've never really drafted someone in that spot where you look at and go, oh my God, they could be a difference maker. And for all the conversations people have about why you don't see fans out there, whether because it's too far of a drive, the the running joke in South Florida is, and three points out of the last playoff spot, the Florida Panthers. That's literally the joke in South Florida. Imagine what it would be like if they had 
someone that people think could be a bona fide superstar at Lafreniere. Because again, that's a market that, as we've seen with LeBron James, as we're seeing with Tua, stardom is everything. So let's just go with the Florida Panthers. I like that pick. All right, Katie. So I'm going to counter that with kind of like a a premise, a question. What is going on with the fact like that the Coyotes in the investigation into the illegal testing of prospects things has not been resolved? Because to me, like as soon as I watched that draft lottery, you know, unfold in its very 2020 on brand chaotic way, that was the first question that popped into my head. They still have not announced any sort of decision on that to my understanding. Um, And also from my understanding, like once the combine got kicked down the road, then like teams really started to get a a bit more aggrieved about um, this illegal testing and, and the fact that it, you know, no punishment or decision or discipline has been handed down yet. And I think the longer this goes on, it gets sort of weird because especially, you know, if Arizona is conceivably still in play for that, it adds a really interesting wrinkle to this whole chaos, right? Love it. it. Uh, like, imagine if Arizona wins. And then they're like, and the punishment is you have to give up your first round pick. Uh, exactly. Sorry. sorry, Coyotes. Oh my but you God. know what? But then if you're the Coyotes, you say, you know what? That's the one prospect we didn't illegally measure. <laughs> <laughs> we have nothing on this guy. Oh my gosh! And so we, we, we're gonna we're gonna get into John Chayka in the Coyotes divorce. I think we're gonna wrap with that in a minute because I, it's it just it's, there's so much intrigue there. Uh, but I love Arizona as a chaos. Pierre, did you want to answer this? Even though you led this off, I'll give you a chance to answer if you have a team vote before I give you mine. No, I mean I think I pretty much said yeah. it the first Montreal. thing. I mean I think the the whole Montreal thing would be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's not for everyone when you're from there, but, uh, you know, and by the way, like Quebec doesn't produce as many elite players as they used to. And so the impact actually of that happening, I think he'll have that impact in a way, no matter where he plays. But I think uh, I think it'd be tremendous. Yeah, I'm firmly on Chicago Blackhawks. It would be like, I think mostly because I, I um, love covering Blackhawks playoff hockey in the spring and going to Chicago for long stretches. And so having them reload and just and people would just go bonkers if they if they you know the Blackhawks or one of, even the Rangers like if one of these big market teams gets this it, it, people are going to go bonkers so that's I'm voting for like big market uh New York Rangers Chicago Blackhawks let's get some conspiracy theories working frozen envelopes uh, like let's go all the way with this thing um you know but but by the way by the way a source told me that Harry Carey's restaurant has sold m- way fewer grass-fed Steaks. Uh, Great stop going to Chicago. Wait. Oh, now I'm feeling nostalgic. Was was that that long ago? All right. Um, how how many how many um, beers at that bar waiting for tables have been out, lost because uh, the hockey crew isn't there? My goodness. water only for me, buddy. <laughs> All right. Before we get to the 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 John Chica Arizona Coyote story to wrap. I do want to talk about the Seattle Kraken. Again, like it's, it, we've just been inundated with like crazy stories, fascinating things. Um, we've the numbers are off the charts in terms of, of things sold by by Seattle. Like their their launch was was wildly successful. Um, the, I thought that everything looked gorgeous. I was a fan of the team name, um, and so and I'm going to lead have Ryan lead this one off because Ryan you were so close in covering that um you spent some time in that market 
what were your impressions of that? And how do you think the people of Seattle, like what, what are you hearing in terms of how they've responded? There's someone I know who I'm so close with who on Facebook was like, I want to get the anchor with the Space Needle tattooed. And in three hours, we see a photo of that design as well as the main design, someone getting it tattooed. And even Ron Francis, when I spoke with him, was just like, that's pretty dope. Now, Ron Francis did not say that was pretty dope. But you <laughs> I was going to say. Um, wow. Yeah, but, <laughs> but anyway, so look, the, the thought is a lot of people are, are really stoked with what they're seeing because one – you're always going to wonder about the name in the sense of does it fit like this sort of nautical theme you see with that city seahawks mariners sounders storm rain you name it and then the second thing is it's the color scheme because look while blue and green would fit well within that city's landscape you do have the vancouver canucks so to see the different shades of blue plus the red stripe and how they made it work how they wanted to stick with that theme of just that color that name and how it fits within the city it just seems like it's something a lot of people are extremely fond of but Scott, you were you've been you've been really also reporting closely with Seattle since really the start of all of this, and um, even the way they were able to keep it secret, and maybe now we see there was there's some hints at it along the way, but just I, the the performance of it all, like how impressed were you that they were able to pull it off the way they did? Well, I I mean not to to gush unnecessarily about a team that's you know, still months away from actually playing a game, but you know, there have been, they haven't missed a note all the way along. Like I thought even the naming of the arena, the whole climate change arena, the connection with Amazon, like it just has been so, it's been so outside the box and it has been handled so professionally. They, Hey, when you hire good people to do important jobs and that's what happens, right? And it, it doesn't always work out that way. And listen, Vegas always, Vegas has been a model franchise, but I happened to be in Vegas when they were trying to unveil the name and the video didn't really work. And it was, you know, like it was a bit chaotic <laughs> there, right? It, you're like, I remember Bill Foley, like, you know, he's waiting to name this on live TV and the video wouldn't work. And, you know, Seattle, they knocked it all down and they knocked it all down, you know, because the NHL, you know, basically controlled the timeline for this based on the pause and all the other things that they were trying to accomplish. And so they had to, you know, Seattle had to pivot time wise how they were going to release, when, all those kinds of things. And I thought they did a remarkable job of it. And, um, you know, I can't wait for them to actually start playing. I can't wait. You know, I'm still in line, right? I want I want to go to Seattle and do some reporting. I know Ryan's closer, but I'd like to get out of Atlanta someday and maybe go to Seattle and do some stuff there. But uh, no, I think they've done a great job, and it's been it's been fun during a very very difficult time to watch that team, you know, sort of come, you know, the come together and to, and to forge an identity. Uh, that, you know, even though we're months away from them actually playing a game. Yeah. And another thing they've gotten right, you've watched their hiring process in, in Katie, we, you know, we've talked about the makeup of a front office and Seattle has been so intentional in saying, okay, this isn't going to just be a bunch of old white dudes running this organization. Right. And, you know, prominent voice in Alex Mandricki, who is, you know, brilliant. And, and, um, and she's, you know, she's she's been public about how how they're going to build this, and they're gonna they're not going to do it the way that that teams have done it in the past. And and I would love to get your thoughts and 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 how they've gone about doing that. Yeah, and I think you know you bring up Alex, and also them hiring Cami as a scout and Namita as a senior analyst. Like, 
you know, you, you make a very deliberate effort to, you know, in, include women, people from communities of color in, in your front office, in your hockey ops um, departments. And, you know, beyond sort of what I feel like is the moral imperative is it's good business. Um, yeah. You, you limit yourself to one demographic and you are weeding out so much talent um, and, and so much, you know, sort of great, um, you know, intellect and innovation and creativity. And so I think that makes them such an easy team to kind of get behind, to see how deliberate they've gone about in, in being mindful and cognizant um, about those hiring practices and about incorporating that. And, and truly, you know, I was reading something today about the sequential order of what they decided in terms of like the name first, I think identity was second, colors, logo, whatever. Um, but you know, their hiring practices, I think will be part of their identity. And I think that's a, an awesome thing. And a thing that right now when, you know, things overall seem really shitty in a lot of different areas, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's something that I'm really optimistic about. Yeah. Uh, pure. My, my only concern, my only concern is that because of their team name, that pe people are going to nickname their rink the Crack House, which would be unfortunate if uh, if that was the case. But you know, so about uh, that, real no quick. doubt. So, <laughs> ask Heidi Detmer, who's their chief marketing officer. Was that something all of you considered? Because I mean, it would be the Crack House fans would be the crackheads, not to be funny, but like if right. you've ever been to Seattle, it's a city that is currently going through an opioid issue, and she was like, look. We sat down and looked at the advantages and disadvantages of every name, and we felt like with Kraken, there were more positives than negatives that came with it. So, Pierre, back to you. I just want to right. throw that out there. Well, there you go. So I wasn't the only, I wasn't the only one who thought about that. Look at me. Uh, yeah, because well, Seattle. I mean, every major city is going through that crisis, right? Yeah. I mean, that's it's a real issue, but. Uh, it, it really is impressive. And I got to run, by the way. My, my wife, Stacy is looking at me through our office window here at the cottage and sa saying that I'm getting booted out. Okay. She has, she has, a, real, she has a real job, unlike <laughs> me. But uh, I, I will say on the final note on Seattle, it'll be interesting to see who they hire, as, of course, as their first coach. Um, I think Gerard Gallant is a no-brainer in my mind, given what he's obviously done in Vegas. But, uh, again, because Seattle is doing things differently and, and looking at all kinds of different things. Who knows? They may surprise us. All right. Let, let's wrap up then because I know we have a lot of hard, hard outs and I don't want Stacy mad at me at all. But Pierre, we're going to have to lightning round the Chica situation. In ten words or less, Pierre, okay. what did you think? Where, where is this headed? Gongdale. Remember we used to call I... Gongdale and uh, Glendale? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's not clear to me and, uh, and I want to be careful with yeah. it because I think I've heard different versions of how each side is putting things and it's, it's hard for us, right. To, to know what went down there. But, uh, I, I just know that certainly my dealings with John over the years, really, really smart guy. So I hope that, you know, things land well for him, but I also know it's, uh, pretty exciting new ownership group in Arizona that has a lot of big plans for that franchise. So it's really, it's a, it's brutal for the league that this happened this way right before the tournament. I mean, it's no good for anyone. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a bad look and it's uh, really unfortunate. It's, you know, uh, and Pierre take off. And so I don't, so, so Stacy is, is not 
without she so she's able to work but scott i wanted to move to you on this one <laughs> because i mean you wrote right away about the candidates but it was i, it, I thought right away boy this is going to really like ha- have a shadow over arizona's postseason and the play-in rounds and boy you know what a huge distraction the timing of this is awful i don't i just feel like maybe we just move on from everything super fast in the crazy crazy news cycle but i don't i don't think it has cast a huge shadow over what the coyotes is trying to do right now no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's a testament to a guy like Rick talking behind the bench. And really, what does what does a GM do in the bubble, right? He's not doing anything, right? He's doing what he would do at home, getting ready right. for the draft and all that kind of stuff. So, I, I, yeah, the timing was embarrassing for the franchise. There's no question about that. And frankly, I think even more embarrassing was you know, the tone that the team took and like, they were mad. <laughs> they were really mad at John Chica. And, I've uh, never seen a press release like that. Like <laughs> yeah, this guy's a quitter, quitter. and quitter. I'm like, what is happening yeah. right now? I heard from a number of executives who were like, oh, so it looks like he quit, right? <laughs> like they were joking about the press release, uh, yeah. which couldn't be more emphatic. It, it, to me, I talked to somebody recently um, who's connected to the franchise and knows that market. And I think for me, the, the critical part moving forward is that uh, new ownership there with the Mariuel of the family and Xavier Hernandez, the new um, president and CEO, they got to get it right now. And I don't know whether Steve Sullivan's the right guy to be the GM. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but I think it's critical that Shane Doan has a role in that franchise moving forward. I think it's important that they have people who understand that marketplace and that community and what they've been through mm-hmm. in terms of the hockey. And so it can't just be, I, this person I talked to said, it can't just be some outsider coming in and say, well, I'm going to fix your franchise. Well, no, it has to be somebody who understands what's going on there. Because it's, I do believe that at some point that's going to be just such a great market. It's never been what it could be because of all the circumstances there and playing in Glendale, all those kinds of things. Ownerships has got to get this right. They got to bring in a lot of really good, smart hockey people. But I think it's critical that people who have an understanding of that marketplace and they only get one chance to do this right. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see if they do get it right. Ryan, what's your confidence level that this has a, a, a positive ending for the Coyotes? Well, say this, and I do have to run too. Uh, the thing is this: no one really knows, and anytime you have a personnel decision, you're never going to find out the answer until years down the road. We may not find out all the details of John Chica and his situation until well after the fact, but in the sense of was this the best decision for everyone involved, you won't know until then. Because look, you bring in a new owner, you bring in a new front, well, new president, the whole nine, there's bound to be changes somehow. It's now just a matter of seeing, are these the sort of changes that keep the Arizona Coyotes as this franchise that everybody looks at and goes, could they do it, could they not? Or is this what puts them over the hump? But again, we won't know for years. Yeah. Katie, I feel like this is something you and I could talk about for like an hour and we're down to like our last 30 seconds. But like this, like, because this is like right in our wheelhouse of like salacious, almost gossip. But what, what is, what did you think of it all? Uh, Keeping it really quick. I think the the timing and the tenor of the situation leads me to believe that there will likely be some sort of litigation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And knowing John, this is, he's smart. I don't like... I don't think we've seen the last of him either, and, and I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what it can look like, right, we, considering everything that's gone on. But um, the, this is going to be back at some point, this this topic. Um, I want to thank everybody for joining and for hanging on until the last possible second because we have so much going on to do. 
Um, so thank you to to Ryan, to Pierre, to Scott, to Katie for joining this, and it was so much fun to do. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. I want to thank Ryan and Pierre and Scott and Katie, all former guests on the Full Sixty. Uh, all can carry their own show. All could have their own podcasts. All some of them actually do, um, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, thanks everybody for joining the podcast. That was a fun talk. I know we were cramming things in at the end. Um, could have easily gone another hour, but it was it was a lot of fun. Always great to catch up with that crew. Um, a couple of things before we wrap up. Make sure you check out. Corey Schneider's appearance on uh, Scott and Pierre's podcast, Two Man Advantage. It was great. And not only that, is on every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, they are doing an episode that breaks down the playoffs. So uh, they are on it. Scott Burnside is keeping you up to speed on all the NHL action. And of course, uh, the best writers at the Athletic stop by to chat with Scott because that's what we would do, anyways, right now. So, uh, Make sure you're subscribed to Two Man Advantage. Follow along and catch all their daily podcasts this week during the playoffs. It's it's really cool. I'm so glad that they're doing that. Uh, a couple other things, Mike Russo's podcast. If you're not listening, you don't even have to be a wild fan to listen to that. Straight from the source. Check that out. Jeremy Rutherford has a new edition of We Went Blues, and he was joined by Jesse Granger, um, one of my favorite writers at The Athletic. Uh, Tons of podcasts right now. Tons of hockey. It is so good to have all of this back and at it. Also, I love how um, interactive the comments section has turned out to be on the Athletic app for the full 60. So I'm definitely checking those out. I'm responding to you. We've, we've had some good interactions. I just like the feedback. Sometimes people want to weigh in on what we're talking about. Uh, other times, listeners have ideas for shows. It's turned into a really good way to communicate with you guys. So if you're a subscriber to The Athletic... Um, just download the app and you can uh, click on the episode and comment on it and we can have a conversation there as well Um, and if you're not subscribing to The Athletic and you want to take advantage of the 40% off listeners to the full 60 get go to theathletic.com slash full 60 you get 40% off a year subscription to The Athletic alright thanks again to The Athletic crew for joining the podcast thank you for listening enjoy the games